0: We're continuing our series entitled Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to be taking a reading from Mark chapter 9. So Mark chapter 9, if you want to follow along, you can do. If you have one of our church Bibles, it's page 1027. uh, 1027. Alternatively, you can just uh, sit and listen as we uh, have the reading together. Before we... We do the reading, I don't know if you've ever been terrified on the top of a mountain. I've been rather scared on the top of a mountain on two occasions and the common denominator in those is Ian Seddon. (laughs) Um, At at both times in Snowdonia as well, but I remember one in particular where there was a group of us and the weather just came in and we couldn't see much at all and we were wanting to get off the top of that mountain as quickly as we could. And I remember getting angry and saying, we need to go this way and Ian's like, no, we're not going that way. We're going this way because this is the route that's planned. And as we eventually made ourselves uh, made our way down, and we got to the bottom, we looked back. Had we gone the way that I angrily was saying we should have gone, we would have fallen off a cliff. So uh, there was a man who was prepared, but it was frightening because the cloud had come in and the wind was blowing. You couldn't see a thing, and. You're exposed to the elements on a mountain. We're going to go to a mountain experience here. And the men that are with Jesus, who's ultimately prepared for it, the men are terrified by what they experience. And it's not because they're exposed to the elements. It's because they're exposed to the glory of God himself. Read this with me. So this is Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. And it says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it was written of him. What an amazing experience. Three out of the 12 followers of Jesus, his closest followers, three of them are selected, Peter, James and John. And he says, you come with me now. Mark's account is not the only one we have in our Bibles. We also have it in Matthew chapter 17 and we have it in Luke chapter 9. And when we bring them all together, we get little bits of information that give us a full picture of what was happening here. Jesus, it says, took them up the mountain and according to Luke, it was so that they might pray. Now this was a habit that Jesus had and he was training his followers in it too. He said, we'll go up the mountain and pray. We read about it earlier in Mark that he would go off himself alone to pray on a mountainside. But this is a high mountain. So it takes a bit of effort to get these three men and himself up this mountain with the purpose that they might pray. I don't know about you, but maybe prayer is a difficult thing. It is for me, and sometimes it can feel like you spend all your time climbing the mountain before you get anywhere near prayer. But Jesus had a purpose in this. And he brought these three men to him for a purpose. Not just in this, but in other examples and experiences of his glory. Because these were three men who were going to be absolutely transformed themselves. And to spearhead the message of Christianity after Jesus had returned to heaven. So these three were selected for special treatment. And what they were going to learn is what I hope we will learn. Today is that Jesus Christ is greater than anything. Jesus Christ, you might say, well, that's a very uh, straightforward and simple thing to say, but not for everybody. And sometimes, even for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we fail to say that Jesus is greater than everything. But that's what these men were being taught. Yes, they'd gone up to pray, and it says in Luke's account that as Jesus was praying, His face altered. Matthew says his face started to shine like the sun in its strength. And Mark has told us that his clothes were white. Whiter than anything these men had ever seen. Something remarkable was happening. To demonstrate to them and to us, reading it today, that Jesus is greater than any other person. Now the disciples up to this point had seen the Lord Jesus do some amazing miracles. Maybe the one that stands out most to this point is when he stood up in a boat in the middle of a storm when they're terrified for their lives and he says, peace be still. And the storm stops and the sea is calm. And their reaction was, whoa, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? What sort of man is this They were looking at a man, a man whose teachings were uh, strikingly different from the teachers of the religious leaders. In fact, he seemed to always be challenging the religious leaders in their understanding of their scriptures, what we have as our Old Testament. And they were following him because he was making promises that lined up with him being the man that every Jew was looking for, the man that. God had said would be called the Messiah, the anointed one who would come and he would be a great leader and he would be a great warrior and he would bring about a wonderful kingdom and the Jews would be central to that and faithful Jews were waiting and had waited for centuries looking for this man to come who would be God's Messiah, his anointed one, his chosen one, to bring in the fullness of this great kingdom that God had promised in the Old Testament. Jesus was showing these men who were in awe of his abilities as a a man. What sort of man is this? They were being shown in this experience on the high mountain as Jesus was praying. And it tells us, in Luke's account as well, that as, as they awoke from their sleep, the disciples couldn't keep up with Jesus in their prayer, they fell asleep. How often has that happened to you? It happens to me frequently. But they woke up and they saw that Jesus was more than just a great man. How many times have you seen somebody's face shine like the sun? How many times have you seen somebody's clothes be transformed to be whiter than anything you can see on earth. This time of the year when the sun and where we are in the northern hemisphere in the UK uh, situated where we are, this time of the year the sun is low in the sky and it's, it's quite dangerous if you're driving a car and the sun is as it is today, uh, maybe late morning or early afternoon or late afternoon. The sun can be blinding and actually when you're heading in the direction of the sun, you don't see anything else. Now, put yourself back 2000 years ago. The disciples of Jesus here, Peter, James and John, had nothing else to compare this glory to other than the sun that's in the sky. Now, we have been brought into the wonders of what is out there in the universe that God has created. So maybe we think we're in a a situation where our understanding is maybe greater than theirs. But still, when we're driving along a road or walking down a road and the sun is in our eyes, there is nothing more painful and glorious at the same time. Isn't that right? It just blinds. It's the thing that gets your full attention. And that's what happened to these men. And it was from the face of this man that they were like who is this man Jesus Christ was transformed because he was greater than any man not only that he's greater than any man who'd been before him and we have this interesting experience here for these men where it says they they recognized Elijah and Moses appearing and talking with Jesus so In the middle of this amazing experience of Jesus being transfigured, the word is. Which means that it was like a metamorphosis is the the word that's behind it in the Greek language. He was transformed in his face. His face was altered. And this glory that's greater than the sun was just coming out of his face. Honestly, I can't imagine how frightening that would be. And his clothes were glowing. Not only that... But they're able to recognise, I don't know how, but maybe it's because of the conversation, two men who have been dead for a very long time. Elijah has been dead for centuries. And Moses has been dead for even longer. And these two men appear with Jesus Christ as his face is glowing and his clothes are shining. And they have a conversation. And Luke tells us that they were talking about His departure, Jesus' departure. The word is exodus. They were talking about his exodus, that Jesus was going away. That he was going to go into something and out of something. They were talking about his departure. It says in Luke that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So something was happening here. That was showing that Jesus was greater than any man. That in fact he was God himself. Because this glory could not come from any normal man. He was demonstrating the reality of who he really was. And therefore his credentials to be the one through whom God would bring in the wonderful kingdom of God. That these men and others besides them had been longing and looking for. Jesus is greater than any that had gone before. And actually Jesus had come to shatter their perceptions, their understandings and ours as well of what God is doing when he's bringing in the kingdom of God. That's why Elijah and Moses appear, I think. Because it says in a moment that whenever... Peter blurts out, this is so amazing. Let's make some little uh, tent-like things for the three of you. We want this to, to last a bit longer. Of course you would. It was terrifying, but it was something special. And then the cloud comes in and a voice, it's God the Father himself saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And when the cloud is gone, there's nobody there but Jesus alone. God is saying that there's none like Jesus. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. And all that they stand for, he is the God-man. And he has come to bring you into the kingdom of God. Let me just say something about Elijah and Moses for a moment. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets <clears throat> revered by the Jewish people. Because he was a man who had demonstrated great faith in the face of A people who had turned away from God to do something great for God. But also he was a man who who had weaknesses just like us. And almost after his greatest achievement, his faith crumbled. And God had to restore him again. How how much is that like us? But Elijah was there because of the conversation that Jesus has with the disciples as they're coming back down the mountain. They're like... uh, the scribes, the teachers of the law, say that Elijah's going to appear before the kingdom of God comes. <coughs> and he's going to prepare the way. And Jesus has a conversation about that. But we'll come back to that in a moment. So Elijah was there. And the disciples are suddenly thinking, it's happening. This kingdom is about to come. And then there's Moses. And Moses is known as the first of the prophets. He's a great prophet. And he himself had said, to the people of Israel, uh, 1400 years before, he says, there's going to be a great prophet arise like me from among you and you'll listen to him. So Moses knew that there was somebody coming who would be greater than him. But Moses is associated with the exodus, bringing the people out of Egypt and slavery into the freedom of God's kingdom in those days. And he's associated also with the freedom that comes through the law. The law that was given to Israel so that they would know how to live for God. It was for their freedom and for their joy. But it was a law that nobody could keep. Now, Peter, James and John, they're they're guys who are thinking that this kingdom is coming. And here's Elijah and Moses, one who's the, the bearer of the news of the kingdom and the other who's the one who was supposedly coming to prepare the way for the kingdom. They've come, this kingdom is about to happen. Jesus has just shown himself to be amazingly great. The glory is shining from his face and from his clothes. Wow, it's about to happen. But it wasn't going to happen in the way that they thought it was going to happen. This is the important thing. I mentioned earlier that Jesus has come. And who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing was to shatter all preconceived ideas about what the kingdom of God was going to be like and how people could be part of it. For the Jews, they felt that because God had redeemed his people Israel from Egypt before and had given them the law, that a people who were um, honouring God through keeping the law, well, deep down they knew they were failing. They thought that that was going to be enough. And Elijah was going to come and he was going to help the people to realise what it was and how to live so that they could be part of the kingdom. And this great man, the Messiah, the anointed one of God was going to come. And he was going to be a great political and military leader. And they're looking at Jesus and they're expecting him to be that. Let me just say now, of course Jesus is the greatest leader. And Jesus is the greatest military conqueror that's going to be happening in the future and every knee will bow before him but the way that God was going to bring about the coming kingdom through Jesus was entirely different to what these men thought and entirely different to what we might think God should do when he brings us into his kingdom. Go back to chapter 8 Go back to chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, because both, uh, not both, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are very careful to record things at this period in their gospel accounts in a very particular order. Because what was happening was that the disciples were being challenged about what God was doing through Jesus, because it was entirely different from what they expected. Look with me, um, Mark chapter 8, page 1026, and verse 27. It says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So that's what people were thinking about who Jesus was. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, you're the Christ. Christ means Messiah. You're the one we're looking for, this great leader who's going to bring about the great kingdom for the future glory of Israel. Verse 30, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's read on. And he began, that's Jesus, to teach them that the Son of Man, that's the name that Jesus had for himself, and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels and he said to them truly I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power do you now see why the transfiguration happens when it does it's because Jesus asks them the disciples who are people saying that I am Ah, Well, you're one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? Uh, You're the Messiah, Peter says. You're God's promised one. And all of our hope is in you, Jesus, to bring about this great kingdom that God has promised. And what does Jesus do? From that moment on, he begins to explain to them that he, the Son of Man, the one they've identified as the Messiah, is going to suffer He's going to be rejected, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise from the dead. And Peter just cannot understand it and says, no way, that is not happening to you. And the Lord turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. What a hard thing to say to one of his followers. Your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of men. Stop thinking like a man. Stop thinking like humanity. Follow me and think after me, the thoughts of God. And then he says, that's going to happen to me. If anybody wants to come after me, to be my follower, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. And the first mentions of a cross. Take up the cross and follow me. You know somebody when they were walking out, to the place of execution with a cross on their back. At that point they had no rights anymore. They were entirely under the authority of Rome. Condemned as, a, as somebody who had done something against the Roman authorities. And they were going to die. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you're going to come after me. You give up everything that you think you're entitled to. Give it all away. Because it'll not benefit your soul, and instead take up your cross and follow me. Give me first place. Come under my authority. Jesus himself one day would carry a cross out of Jerusalem to another hill, another mountain side. And yes, what he said would happen happened. He had been rejected. By the religious leaders. He had suffered the abuse of people mocking him for claiming to be God, while all the while challenging what they considered was the way God should operate. And then he went out there and he gave himself to die on the cross. It happened. Jesus died. Jesus says, to his followers, before it happens, if you want to live with me in the kingdom of God, you must go the same way. And then, six days after that, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain. Because if Jesus was just an ordinary man, but an extraordinary man, he was no better qualified to die On behalf of sinners than any one of us we thought about that in our worship this morning if he was just like us then he would have been a sinner but Jesus was not like us and he was going to demonstrate that to his followers and these three in particular and it happened when he was there on the mountainside and his face was transfigured and his garments were glowing as his face was shining like the Sun Here was the truth that this man that they identified as the Messiah who said he was going to die was God himself. There was a glory there that was above and beyond anything they could expect of any other man. And they needed to be shown that to be helped to understand by God himself that they must listen to what Jesus was saying rather than what the religious leaders were saying was going to happen about the coming kingdom of God. They had their idea, based on what they understood of God's word. From Moses and the law, through all the prophets, who were prophesying something great that was coming, they had an idea of how that was going to come about by a Messiah figure who was going to come, defeat all their enemies, become their great leader, and everything was going to be wonderful. But that wasn't the way that God was going to bring about the glory of his kingdom. He was going to do it through Jesus, his son, by him coming from heaven himself to become a man, sinless in every way, so that he might go to the cross to die, so that the problem of sin could be removed. Because a kingdom of God where there still is sin is not a kingdom worth being in forever. God wants sin dealt with. Rebellion against him has no place. That's what sin is. So God says, I'm going to deal with it once and for all. And I think this is why God, the Father, when he speaks and said, this is my beloved son. Matthew says, in whom I'm well pleased. God, the Father, was entirely delighted with the life of Jesus because he was a sinless person. He then says, listen to him. Listen to him. And Peter, all the while, must have been thinking in the back of his mind, Jesus told me that my mind wasn't set on the things of God, but were set on the things of men. And now this voice, which must be God, is telling me to listen to him, a man. A man who is God. Listen to him. No wonder Elijah and Moses are no longer seen on the mountain. The Old Testament the law and the prophets. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, I've not come to abolish it, the law and the prophets. All that's been said, I've come to fulfill it. Jesus had come that he might fulfill the law by himself keeping the law, but also being the one through whom God would deal with sin through his ultimate sacrifice. Now this was contrary to any idea they had. So the disciples then as the disciples of Jesus now or prospective disciples of Jesus now need to see that God works in a way which challenges our very own arrogant thinking about how God should work god just just wipe out sin just deal with it and bring me into your kingdom forever i deserve it that's where the jews were at based on the promises of god but they got it wrong, they didn't see that God was going to ultimately deal with sin so that it wouldn't be present in his future eternal kingdom for us today if we think that we're good enough in ourselves to have a place in God's kingdom this experience on the mountaintop is challenging that entirely because in Jesus Christ the man who is God the glory shines out of this sinless man who had said he was going to go and die. It was only through the way of death and through his resurrection that the kingdom of God in all of its glory could come about. This was God's plan. And in Christ, it was being realized. So, this experience on the mountaintop wasn't just a uh, wow, well, uh, Jesus is, is more than just a man. This is, wow, well, we need to listen to what he says because he is God and he said he's going to die they still struggled, the disciples still struggled with it, this concept that this great leader who was supposed to be the one who would bring about victory was going to himself die, because when people die they die, but Jesus had told them he would rise from the dead, he says to them as they're going back down the mountain, don't mention this If you look at, I think it's Matthew's account, don't mention this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Guys, keep this to yourselves for now. You've seen something remarkable. You've heard the voice of God. It's changing your perception of what God is doing through me. Jesus is saying, allow me this uh, um, liberty here. And he says, but keep it now until I am raised from the dead. And they're sitting there still going, what does this rising from the dead mean? They couldn't get their minds around it. The little conversation about Elijah that they have, that Jesus actually identifies John the Baptist as Elijah. He says, Elijah has already come. John the Baptist had been the one to come and prepare the way of the Lord. He was like an Elijah figure who had come to prepare the hearts of people. He had already come. And Jesus says, look, if they did this to the man who has come, before me to prepare the way. What did they do to John the Baptist? They plotted against him and they ended up taking him into custody and through some stupidity he ends up um, having his head taken off by a wicked king. Jesus says if they did that to him and it was written about him that it would happen. If the things that are written about the Messiah dying and suffering and dying and being raised from the dead are written. That's going to happen too. And the disciples are then probably stri- trying to fit parts of the Old Testament that just didn't seem to fit into the jigsaw up to this point. Sections of Isaiah's prophecy where it speaks of the Messiah, servant figure, suffering and dying. I'm thinking, okay, so if, I, if John the Baptist has prepared people's hearts and they dealt with him that way, then Jesus is going to suffer the same. Why? Because this is the way that God would deal with sin. The sinless Savior would give Himself on the cross. Scriptures tell us Peter is the one who says in one of his writings, "He bore our sins in His body on the tree." And Peter was in his first letter was just amazed at the glory that he'd seen in the mountain. That day. And he writes of it. John writes of it too at the beginning of his gospel. He says, the word, the expression of God. The final word of God. He became flesh. And dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. It was through Jesus that the truth would come. It was through Jesus that God's grace would come. It comes to us when we believe that God's plan of salvation shatters any ideas that we would have about what it means to be saved and have a place in God's kingdom we can't do it ourselves we have to put ourselves under the authority of Jesus who put himself under the authority of God his father and under the weight of our sin on the cross knowing that he was going to be raised from the dead he'd achieved the victory when he died for us Paul says that God was just when he dealt with Jesus on the cross because God must deal with sin. But if he was to do that with any of us as sinners, we would instantly be wiped out. But God in his grace dealt with the sinless one that he had provided. And therefore, he is just in doing what he's done and he is just to forgive us our sins when we say, Jesus, you died for me. God, you've done this for me. I don't bring anything to it. I just put myself under it and say, Thank you, God, that you've done this for me. This is all of grace. This is truth. This is glory. Now, just in closing, a little word for us about our experience of Jesus ongoing. I'm hoping our experience of Jesus on the mountainside here has, has caused in us a joy. To realise that God's way of salvation is entirely different from ours and we just have to step back and say thank you God for doing what you've done through Jesus. You do that by faith. Sin is forgiven. New life is given. The heart that was set against God is changed to be a heart that goes after God. It's an entirely different life. I think as well That this transfiguration that Jesus experienced on the mountainside was also a pointer for his disciples that the same thing was going to happen to them. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's on page 1176. And we'll read verses 16, 17, and 18. So 2 Corinthians 3. This is Paul writing. And up to this point, he's been talking about how Moses, when he was in the presence of God, would come out of the presence of God and he would be reflecting the glory of God and he would have to veil his face. But when he went into the presence of God, he would take the veil off and he would keep coming out. And the people were frightened because Moses' face was shining, a reflection But read with me from verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now we've broken into this, just very quickly how do we see the glory of the Son of God today when he is in heaven on the throne of God? We see it in God's word. Paul tells us this. He says that the old, those who were caught up with the Old Testament things, even in his time, the Jews were still reading it as if they had a veil and they, they couldn't see the glory of God through the pages of their books and through their scrolls. They couldn't see the glory of God. But he says that when one turns to the Lord, so take your eyes away from Elijah and Moses in a sense and fix them on who Jesus is, then the veil goes and you see the glory of God. And the Spirit, the Lord, the Spirit, in the life of a believer, God coming in and taking up residence in somebody who trusts in what Jesus has achieved when he died and he was raised, achieving a kingdom, glory forever, and the spirit comes in to guarantee that. He brings a freedom. The veil is gone. And we then come to God's word. And we behold what? The glory of the Lord. It says it in verse 18. We behold the glory of who God is in his word. Can't emphasise this enough. Being God's word. Because being in God's word brings us face to face with the glory of Jesus. And look at what it says. And we, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. It's an ongoing process in the life of a believer that we become more like Jesus. How is it possible that we we would shine with the glory of God like Jesus? Well, like Moses, if we're in God's presence, when we're in his word, then it's going to be reflecting. But more than that, because the Spirit indwells us through the inner transformation that God works as we see Jesus and we want to be like him as it does something inside with our heart, our mind, our decisions, our choices, which then drive our actions. We're transformed from into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's remarkable. The same Greek word is there. Jesus was transfigured before them, transformed into the same image. God is going to give us new and glorious bodies like his. Jesus said he's coming back, and he is. He's going to usher in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And he's done it in a way that we could never have dreamt of. Jesus is greater than all. Any ideology, any religion that's out there that is self-made is just dispelled, overturned by Jesus Christ, the man who is God, who went the way of the cross and who lives to usher in believers into his new kingdom. This kingdom of God that is forever, when we'll receive bodies that are fit for it. I can't wait for that. My knees have been given me jit this week. I'm looking forward to decent knees. You get my point, don't you? But for now, there's a transformation that happens when we view The glory of Jesus in his word. What does it say in Acts 4 about Peter and John? It says that people recognise that they have been with Jesus. We've been with Jesus this morning. Let it shine. Let's pray.